Well, church, good morning. Good morning. I'm glad you're here. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Justin. I hope if I haven't met you yet to be able to change that today. So please come and meet me. Uh, so many weeks, I, I feel like I don't get to connect with so many of you. And so I hope that I can meet you this week. I'm glad you're here. Uh, before we get moving into James this morning, I want to briefly just speak to something, uh, real briefly, about something that uh, we are walking through uh, the last week. So last week, the U.S. Supreme Court made a ruling, uh, as most of us know, that, that legalized same-sex marriage through all 50 states. Um, and there was quite a different reaction. If you are on any kind of form of social media, you see the whole gamut. You see the news being news that long-awaited rejoicing, praise the Lord for this moment, and then over here you see our, our nation is going down. And you see joy and fear and everything in between. Our nation is, is dealing with this. And this morning, um, we are not going to have a message over biblical family or anything like that uh, this morning. We're going to continue in James. But I will let you know that in, um, in the fall, we plan on being in the book of Ephesians. So we're going to get the joy, the privilege to walk through these things together as a church. But having said that, I want to give us three things as a church, and this is kind of just before we dive into James, just as a church, three short things that we can have in our hearts as we deal with, with this. What One, this is not a time for fear or panic. The gospel has not lost, and no government, no authority can put Jesus back in the grave. This is not a time for panic. Our, our gospel is still good. Uh, in this time, though, having said that, Christians who stand on the word of God in a moment have become countercultural. Let me encourage you that the church has been here before. The church has been here before. Not only did it survive it, but it thrived when the church is countercultural. So we stand, at, honestly, I'm praying that this is the ground, the fertile ground for revival and transformation. Because historically, we look back and we see God do incredible things in moments and times like these. So number one, this isn't a time to panic. Number two, this is not a time for hate. Um, this is a call for us to guard ourselves because we hear it often that we, that we love the sinner, we hate the sin. And this is true, that's great. But what I want to encourage us to do as a church, what often happens in, as we lob hate grenades toward the sin, it has casualties. Many, many, many casualties. Um, my encouragement is for us to focus on our unique ability as the people of God to simultaneously stand on the truth of God and to love the snot out of each other and the people we come in contact with. This is ours and it's our unique opportunity. Um, I'll put it like this, church, I want to be the church that when people come through our doors that are broken, 
And this includes sexually, this includes um, sexual identity, this includes all of that. But when refugees from this movement come in, I want to be the church that points them to the love of Jesus that they're gonna feel accepted because of his good news. And that can't happen through hate. So this is not a time for fear. This is not a time for hate. And then lastly, this is not a time for conformity. We are going to feel a temptation coming that, that we haven't felt much of in the church in America. And that is, uh, we are going to feel this pressure to conform what we say to the pressure of our culture that is around us. Um, we are going to see it everywhere. We're going to feel the effects of being a countercultural movement. Uh, this is not a, a time to conform as to not offend. This is not a time for us to change and sacrifice the truth. It's a time for us to hold the truth and to realize that the truth of the scripture calls us to love. Stand on the truth and love the snot out of each other. Does that make sense? This is our calling, and we live in a different time. My kids are going to grow up in a different time, and that is okay because my God and his gospel has not changed. Amen. Has not changed. It's not a time for fear, hate, or conformity, but for hope, love, and truth, and that we'll be a church that brings God glory through this. And so I want to say this before we move on. If you're here, and maybe you know of someone who is struggling with this, uh, how to, what should our response be in these times? What should, a, let me give you a heads up. It's not blast people on social media, but we wonder what should we do in these moments, in these times? If you're here and that's you, maybe you're here and you have a loved one who, who that, they're in that place. Um, we have some resources that are available to you. And we're in the process of getting them together. Here's what I want you to do, though. On your card that you, that you got, the Connect card, there's a spot on the back for you to write. On that card, uh, the catchphrase will be Supreme Court. I'll know what you mean. Write Supreme Court on it. And uh, make sure it's legible and make sure that your information, contact information is legible. I'm going to send you some of these resources that we are putting together right now uh, to help us navigate through this, not just survive through it, but to navigate through it well, that we can bring glory to God through this. And so if that's you, please take advantage of that. Let me pray, and then we'll get started in James. God, thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Thank you that we get to stand on 2,000 years of, of church history that we look back on and we see that your church has survived and thrived even when it is pressured. And so, God, if we're stepping into a season of pressure, we will praise you in the middle of it. And our prayer is that you use it for your, your glory, that more people will be pointed to your good news. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, we are almost done with James. Almost done with James. Um, let me say this. One day, Jesus is going to return. One day he's going to return, just like the way he came in before on a, as a baby, only this time he's not going to be a baby, but a king. But one day he is going to return as a ruling king. Amen? Amen. Amen. One day he's going to make wrongs right, deal with sin, establish justice, set up his kingdom. One day this is coming. Having said that, so what? 
why does it matter? Why does it matter not just, you know, us believing it, but why does it matter for us? Why does that matter? This is going to be a sermon that uh, I call a so what sermon, not because I want you to hear the sermon and say so what, but because I want this sermon to answer the question, so what? Uh, I want to tell you something that you might already know, that, that might in your mind be kind of theological hoopla a little bit, and uh, I want to put skin on it and tell you why it, it matters for us. And so that's my hope as we get into James 5. We're going to be in verse 7 as we read, and, and James is going to pick up on where we were last week. So let me read verse 7 for us. It says, be patient, therefore, my bro- our brothers, until the coming of the Lord. So that therefore, that third word, is a link to the text that came before it. And if you remember what James was talking about in the text before it, he paints this picture of a church that had become, or that was, the minority, that it was a church that uh, was a small but powerful movement of people that were not popular in the popular affluent culture. As we read last week, these, the, the church was being exploited. They were being taken advantage of. Uh, we, they were even losing their lives for this. And I want to, for a moment, to consider the severity of that because that's where James is, when, when James says brothers, these are the brothers who he's talking about. Uh, think if this was the church that we were in today, like experiencing that kind of, of pressure and persecution. What would our focus be on? Can you imagine stepping into the world of the early church, although their salvation in Christ was always by grace through faith alone? It was costly to follow Jesus. It was costly. It, also, it often cost their social standing. It often cost their financial standing and at times cost them their very lives. And um, this is not what we would think to be the most fertile ground for church growth. But it was. The church grew exponentially. And it was in this context that James says, be patient. I know things are difficult right now, but as I said, count it all joy when you face these things because God is building in you perseverance. Be patient. You're not alone. This is part of the plan. There are few things in life that I stink at more than patience. There are very few things that I stink at more. Anyone call themselves a naturally patient person? No one? My hand's not raised. Um, If there is any patience, when I see patience in my life, I know that it is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not my natural bend. This is not coming out of me naturally. What is patience? So patience is not just the ability for us to survive tough things, right? It's not just our ability to be able to survive. Um, Patience is defined as the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. That's the hard part. One of the signs of patience is that we're able to navigate through uncertainty and persecution, trials, struggles, unknowns. That one's a hard one for me. Navigate through these things without raising our fists toward God, without raising our fists toward each other, and without throwing in the towel. James says, be patient. Be patient. 
It's not just a getting through the circumstance or weathering the storm. Uh, Patience is the attitude that we have as we get through the storm. It's not survival. It's, it's, it's calling us to get through it well with self-control, with patience, with endurance. But how? And how long? How long? I, I know I have asked God that several times. How long will it be like this? How long will I have to persevere like this? Uh, this can't be your will, right? James goes on and he says, what? Until the coming of the Lord. The coming of the Lord, what is that? The coming of the Lord is, he's referring to that promised day, that long-awaited day when Jesus will return. When Jesus will return to earth. Not figuratively, actually and literally. In the flesh, like when he came as a baby, real, tangible flesh. Returning again, real, tangible flesh. He's going to come again, but this time not as a baby in a manger, but as I said, as a king who is ruling to set up his kingdom. He will reign. Uh, Satan will be bound. Jesus will be king. This is what the picture that, that James is painting. He says, be patient because that's coming. That is coming. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. The key to our patience in life is our confidence in his return is what James is, is, is saying to us that one day Jesus is going to make all this right. That one day Jesus is going to come and establish justice and grace. That one day he's going to fix the brokenness. That one day he is going to come back. That one day we will see our grand finish line. Now, I think of this in terms as though it were a marathon, Okay, step by step, mile by mile, it's agonizing. We are tired. You want to quit. You you hurt in places you didn't know you could hurt. Mentally, you're worn out. And there are times where you say, just one more mile. If I could just make it around that corner, maybe just the next water station, whatever. And you give yourselves little victories to keep you going. Uh, The same is true in life. We do this as well. We give ourselves little victories in life. Right? We go through the next job, the next opportunity, the next season. Maybe you're going through a tough time in life. We as human beings, and I think this is healthy, we think about that next season. If I can just get there, then we'll, this is healthy. It's good to think of our lives like that. But however, in a race, even though there are those small victories, there is always a finish line in sight. There's always a finish line coming. You might have miles still to go, but it's there. There is a finish line coming. And all of these mile markers and little victories along the way are taking you one step closer to that wonderful finish line when it's all done. One step closer. The same is true uh, in life, that all of our stages... All of our seasons take us one step closer to our finish line when we get to enjoy the the chocolate milk at the finish line. One step closer. In In a race, if there is no, I want you to imagine, if you're running a race and there is no finish line in view, that would be terrible. We would run ourselves to discouragement. We'd run ourselves into the ground. We would have no... 
all of those small victories would lose all significance. We'd be tempted to quit far too soon. The same is true in life, that if we don't have a finish line in view, that we are gonna face discouragement, our small victories are gonna lose their significance, and we're gonna be, able, we're gonna be tempted to quit far too soon. The key is knowing that there is a finish line. The key is knowing there is a finish line, and our grand finish line is that day when he will return. So in a race, we lift our eyes. We lift our eyes off of, of the pain, and we look up, and we see a finish line. In a race, we, we know that the finish line is drawing closer and closer and closer with every step, and the same is true in life. The same is true in life. We know that the finish line is drawing closer and closer and closer with every step. Now, understanding that is going to do several things before we move on. Number one, uh, understanding that the Lord is coming, it's going to cause us to, to organize our lives differently. It's going to cause us to organize our life Differently, it's going to cause us to lift up our eyes from material things and see things that are eternal. Uh, James already reminded us that our lives are like a vapor, a mist, they're temporal. And this is going to cause us to lift our eyes up. Like in a race, it gives us the, the finish line gives us the ability to see a bigger picture than the current pain and struggle that we're in. The same is true in life when we have our finish line in view that we see things differently and we're able to organize our lives differently. Number two, the coming of the Lord is going to cause us to become eager and expectant. Eager and expectant because we don't know the time. We don't know the day. We don't know the moment, but we look forward to his coming with an expectation, with an expectation and an anticipation that he's going to return. Um, Jesus says in Matthew 24, therefore, you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Um, let me ask you a question. I think you'd be hard-pressed to do it, but have you ever seen a runner who was not excited about the finish line? Never seen that, nor will you, because that would be crazy. Uh, in the same way, we should never find a follower of Jesus who is not excited about our finish line. We should be excited, eagerly awaiting it. There should be a great sense of expectation. And number three, the coming of the Lord should bring encouragement that none of this is in vain. None of this is in vain, that we spend our life, we toil, but it's not in vain. Our work for him is eternal. And when the Lord returns and, and, and deals with this, that our work that we have done in his name for his glory will stand. And it will be eternal. And this should bring us encouragement. Philippians says, what he started in you, he will be faithful to complete. He will be faithful to complete on the day of the Lord. In other words, we will see completion in that day. That we will see completion. In a race, we, all of the hard training, every mile, all the sweat, all of the toenails that you lose along the way, all of it is worth it when you cross the finish line. When you cross that finish line in the same way, all of this is worth it. And that brings us to the last thing before we move on. And that is the coming of the Lord is going to remind us of our reward in Christ. 
It's gonna remind us of our reward. Not only is all of this eternal, not only do we not struggle in vain, but we will be rewarded like a runner crossing the finish line getting a medal. We will be rewarded one day. And at the coming of the Lord, this is gonna be true for us. And so the, the coming of the Lord is huge for followers of Christ, but often it can become an out of sight, out of mind doctrine. It can be something cool to talk about later, but it has no effect on the here or now. We get preoccupied with our mist, our vapor, our temporal, when James is reminding us to look up. He's going to do this by two examples in our text. So if you look in verse 7 at the end, going into verse 8, says, see how the farmer, so our first example here is the farmer. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So, so the picture we get is a farmer who works so hard, right? He works so hard, he plants, he does his work, he's waiting patiently for the crops to grow. And listen, he's waiting for things that are out of his control. The rain. Knowing that, that all of that hard work, knowing that his livelihood, his ability to feed himself and his family rests on whether or not rain comes, he waits patiently. He waits patiently. Um, know that it's out of his control. And isn't that often the case when it comes to patience is that the things that we struggle with are often the things that are out of our control. The same is true here for the farmer. And James says, be patient, establish your hearts, hearts which is great imagery. It's, that, it's that, that, that sense that you're rooted, that you're not going anywhere, that your heart is, is firmly holding fast. And how do we do that? How is it that we, that our hearts can, can hold fast and not sway? It's because James says the coming of the Lord is what? At hand. Now let's talk about something. For the early church, this was a real, uh, it was a hopeful expectation that the finish line was right around the corner. The writers of our New Testament, James included, it was imminent. Jesus was going to return at any moment, at any time in their lifetime, they were going to see it any second. They were going to see Jesus return. This is how they lived their life. This was, this was why they lived the way they did. And uh, going back to our race analogy, it's almost like they thought they were setting out for a quick one-mile race. And they thought after every corner, well, I thought the finish line would be there. Well, and they, they live their life thinking that finish line, no, that finish line is right around the corner. They live their life with this sense of, of urgency, this sense of anticipation that they were gonna see the coming of the Lord and that shaped their lives. Now, if we're honest, 2015, Christians in 2015, we rarely live with expectation anywhere close to that. We just don't, we don't. And, and it's not that we don't believe he will return. It's just, it's lost its anticipation in us that excitement in us. And I'll be honest, we have seen so many people, crazy people throughout the years that have stepped up, stepped out and said, repent, it's all over. Jesus is coming Tuesday. You're 
going down. We've seen this. Every major cult has started because someone has stood up and said this. So let's be honest. I mean, I'm leery. I'm leery when, when, we, when we talk about Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming. I get this because I've seen crazy people. We all have seen crazy people. And, and we get leery. And what happens is returning to our race analogy is what happens is over time, we start to lose our expectation of our finish line. We start to lose the expectation that James says, the coming of the Lord is at hand. Is it really at hand? Um, no one knows the moment, the day that Jesus Christ is going to return. No one knows it. But what the scripture is very clear on, is very clear on, that we are to be alert, be expecting, be anticipating his return at any moment. The, the Bible is clear on that. So is the return of Christ at hand? Yes, it is. And we live like that, not that we're crazy people, but we live like that, knowing that one day Jesus is going to return. And, and like the farmer, we patiently wait for the rain. Well, we trust and we wait for the Lord's goodness and the Lord's timing. That's our role. Um, the call for us is the same. So the second analogy that we see is in verse 10. Uh, James chapter 10, or chapter 5, verse 10. Uh, and we see the prophets. He says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. James reminds us of our immense respect that we have for those who came before us, who, who remain strong through adversity. He kind of points our, our attention back. There's perhaps no better example, honestly, than the prophets for this. And I, and I, wanna, I want you to see something here in this analogy. So I think that our parallels are going to be pretty, pretty awesome here. So in the Old Testament, the Old Testament people were waiting on Jesus to return or Jesus to come, not return. They were waiting on Jesus to come. They were waiting on their Messiah. They were waiting on God to come to set all things right, to clean up the mess, to fix it and to establish his kingdom. And for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years they waited. Sound familiar? And what happened in the waiting? Well, the, as you read in your Old Testament, they became distracted with idolatry. They, they, their hearts wandered from the Lord. They rebelled against God. They were scattered. They were taken into captivity. It was bleak. It was not great. And where was the Messiah? Where was he? He hadn't returned. He hadn't come. And this is the world that the prophet stepped into. This is the scene that they stepped into and their message was repent, turn back to God because he is coming. The Lord is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. Be ready for it. Be ready for it. Turn to him. And their message was not received well. It was not received well. We have lion's dens. We have all kinds of stuff that we, that we see the way the prophets were were reacted to. They were out, outcast. They were rejected in the midst of all of that. They waited patiently for the Lord. They persevered. And we look back on them now and say, wow, those guys are superheroes. Those guys are crazy. When the reality is they're not superheroes at all. They just lived with a finish line in sight. They, li they lived their lives with the finish line up ahead of them. 
They lived their lives knowing that the Messiah was coming, so they dedicated their life. They devoted their life to preparing themselves and others for that day. And then they waited patiently for the Lord. And the Messiah did come. He was born in a manger. Jesus came and we sit here today in a very similar place because the scripture has called us to do the same things. It's called us, the scriptures has called us to live our lives knowing that the Lord is coming, to prepare ourselves and to prepare others for that day and to wait patiently for the Lord. Our call is the same. We run our race differently when we have a finish line in view. And so James says, be patient. The Lord is coming. And what do we do in the waiting? What do we do in the waiting? I want to, um, from this text, I want to I look at a few things that, that we need to see because this is great. It's future stuff. It's cool. I mean, we get it. We believe it. That's great. But what do we do in the moments where, church, that we are in moments of struggle, that we are in moments where life is just not great right now. Life is hard. Maybe you're here and your faith is shaken. Maybe you're here and you don't know what you, you don't know what to do with some of the things that are happening in your life. You're just in that place if you're honest. What does the coming of the Lord have anything to do with that? What does it have to do in the way? What, what is James calling us to do in the waiting? Let's look first. Let me ask you, what do we typically do in seasons of struggle? I think James nails it, verse 9. He says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. It's like James knows us. It's like James knows us because in the midst of struggle, persecution, trials, hard things, your temptation, my temptation is going to be to grumble. To grumble against each other, uh, to grumble to each other, uh, neither are healthy. Uh, And now, because of social media, we get to grumble publicly. We get to really let people in and see that. And what can happen is is we can become a community that is, is bound not by the good news of Jesus, but we become a community that is bound because we're angry and we grumble and it's, and we just, and we, misery loves company. And so we have this community of grumblers that, that, is not what Jesus has called us to to be about. No longer are we rallying around the good news, but we rally around our grumbling. And James says, brothers, do not grumble. Do not grumble. Do not judge one another. It's never been our place to be the judge. Jesus is our judge. We've talked about that so many times over the last couple weeks. The church is beautiful and powerful in that we're able to walk through trials with hope. And with our finish line in sight. And so when the world expects that we would grumble, we as a church have the ability to say, no, we're standing on the good news of Jesus. That is ours as a church. And and, and James says, do not grumble. Avoid grumbling. And number two, what do we do while we're waiting? Well, I love the way James ends this. In verse 11, he brings up a man by the name of Job. Uh, He says, behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the faithfulness of Job. Job, by the way, who is widely recognized as a person who struggled greatly. If you don't know the story of Job, uh, regardless of what you're facing in life, how hard it is for you, um, you can look at Job's life and say, yep, he had it pretty bad. 
It's universal. He's become kind of the universal symbol of suffering almost. Uh, in a blink of an eye, he lost his possessions, his family, his health. Um, it was just absolute disaster that struck him in just a moment. And James says, Job was steadfast, never allowed his circumstances to cause him to question God's rule and reign in his life. Now, was it rough? Yes. Uh, did Job question God? Yeah, he did. Did Job allow his friends to rant and rave for 40 chapters, getting it continually wrong? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. But did Job persevere? Yes, he did. Uh, Job 1, verse 20, it says, Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head. As you can see, this is, he is feeling this physically, what he is going through, um, and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That is incredible. And now listen to this, the last verse. It says, in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Wow. James lovingly guides his, this church that is suffering to look at Job. Look at Job. Look at the way he persevered, but he doesn't leave it there. He doesn't just say, look at Job. He was awesome. Be like Job. He doesn't. He says, look at Job. And then in the last part of verse 11 says, you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Compassionate and merciful in the struggle, in the waiting Know that the Lord is good. Know that he is compassionate and know that he is merciful. What do we do in the waiting? Well, like Job, like the farmer, like the prophets, we trust in the Lord's goodness and we trust in the Lord's plan. There are times when goodness and mercy and is seen in healing. There are times when goodness, mercy, and love is seen through holding us through sickness. There are times when, when God's goodness and mercy and love is on display as he takes his people and he pulls them out and delivers them in a moment. He can do it. But there are other times when God's goodness and mercy is best seen as he holds you and sustains you through it and develops in you perseverance that nothing else could. In the waiting, we trust the Lord's timing. We trust the Lord's plan. And I want to finish with this today. I really wish that I could stand up here and look every one of you in the eye, every one of you, and say, God will remove the struggle from you. Voila. I wish I could do that. Go and live struggle-free, you know? I wish I could do that, but I can't. Um, this is not reality for us in this life. But I can look you in the eye and say two things. One, there will be a day that that will be your reality, that that will be your reality, and two, um, be patient and know that God is good until that day comes and know that his grace is sufficient for you in moments of your greatest need and weakness. Church, I've been in that moment of great need and weakness 
and it's not fun, but God is good. And those are the moments I look back on now and say, wow, I praise God for that storm because now I'm in a storm that I could weather better because of it. So church, Jesus is coming again, and it, why does it matter? It matters because it causes us to lift up our eyes, to lift up our eyes, to focus, to see our finish line, to have patience and perseverance through our struggles and trials that are coming and that will come. The key to walking through them is to look up our eyes and to know that Jesus will return. Jesus will return. One day he will establish his kingdom. One day he is going to bring resolution for this. And so we look up and we look at our finish line. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you that we are a people, that we are your people who never have to wonder if you've got things under control. And that might sound strange, but God, we stand in a place where we acknowledge and realize that you are sovereign, you have a plan, and even when we don't see it, you are at work. Remind us of Job. Remind us that as Job was, was going through all of that, he had no idea what plan was happening behind the scenes. He had no idea. He never did. Remind us of that. When we are struggling and going through trials, remind us that you don't promise that we will see and know all the ins and outs of it, but you do promise that we are yours and that one day you will return and make all of this right. One day you will return and you will set things right. And until that day, God, our confidence is in you. Not in this world, not in ourselves, but in you. Lead us and use us as we wait for your coming, God. In Jesus' name, amen.